Well, I want to uh, read today's verse again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, you may not know this, but this is actually the theme verse of our church. Fifteen years ago this month, uh, we started our church with a uh, small group of people, and it has been quite an adventure. It has involved, uh, by many people, a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of money. And that time, sacrifice, and money made by many people has been incredible. And we have been fortunate that God has blessed our efforts and our hard work. You know, when I first came up here, I tried to make an effort to meet some of the pastors in the area. And to a man, they all told me, that this was a very, very tough area. And I knew that coming up here. And, you know, they also would say stuff like, uh, the people here really want nothing to do with the Word of God. They really want to know how God's going to make them happy, how God's going to make them rich, what God is going to do for them. And they certainly don't want to be told that they are sinners. They want self-help. They don't really want true Christianity. Well, when I told them that I was planning to teach the Bible verse by verse, a lot of them gave me what I call the, yeah, I'll give you a one-year look. (laughs) And to be honest with you, a lot of the guys that were teaching verse by verse when I got up here are gone because people left their church for either for the world or for some more user-friendly type Christianity. And after a few minutes all of these pastors would inevitably come up with a well-intentioned question that went like this. What is your vision? Or, Or you might say, what are you going to do? What did they mean? They often meant programs. What's your programs going to be? What are you going to have for people? What's your hype going to be? And what will you use to get people to come to your church? But not only that, what will you use each week to get them coming back to your church? But to be honest with you, all I ever, ever wanted was on, what was on the cover of our bulletin. I wanted us to be a church that was helping people grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's all I ever really wanted. That's all I ever really thought about. And basically the goal was simple. To preach the gospel so people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And many of the people that go here came to faith in Jesus Christ here. And then we would be about the business of making disciples, making followers of Jesus Christ. And that was the vision And it still is, and it's fair to say that everything that we do, because life is so busy, I funnel through that vision, right? And anytime somebody wants to do something, my immediate thought is, well, maybe you can do that at home, or maybe you can do that somewhere else, because what we do as a church, because our time is so, there's not much of it now, I funnel it through the vision, vision of how does anything we do help people become and grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. And for me, I've always wanted to keep church very, very simple, kind of flat leadership style, very simple, so you actually have time to get to, you know, do other things besides being in church every night of the week. So I wasn't shooting for just church attendance One thing I wanted to do was I wanted to teach the whole counsel of God, which he mentions in this chapter, the Apostle Paul, in verse 25. And then I wanted for all of us to live it out as a church among each other, and then to live it out outside the church among a lost and hurting world. That means that in this church, and again, I'm telling you this stuff because it's an anniversary date, that this church has certain core values that you may not even know exists. For me, 
and I'm the founder, so I guess I get to you know set the trend for a, for a lot of things. For me, I value truth over trends. I value God's revelation over being relevant. I don't want to be irrelevant, but revelation is more important to me. For me, holiness, the personal holiness of all of us, is much more important than hype. I value substance, real substance, over style. I'm more concerned with our adoring God than attracting people. And as long as I am the pastor of this church, Christ will always rule over the culture. You say, well, where does that vision come from in the Bible? Well, many places, and one place is the second half of verse 28. Let's throw that up there again. Notice he says, we have it there? Well, maybe we don't. Verse 28, look at the second half. That we, that would be all of us. That we, this is not my church. This is our church. That we, all of us together, may present every man, every man, every woman. That would be all of us. We want to present all of us perfect, most versions say mature, in Christ Jesus. And so the title of our message today is Christ's Vision for His Church. Well, it's great. If you want to have a vision you know, sermon, it's great to have the Apostle Paul with us here this morning. And he's going to help us to see what Jesus wants uh, for and from his church. We know that he's writing this letter uh, from prison, presumably in Rome, to a church in a city by the name of Colossae. He's received a visit from a guy we believe to be their pastor, his name of Epaphras. And let's, what's Epaphras? Epaphras is kind of a plain preacher. He's simply teaching the Bible simply. He's just teaching the Bible to people. He's not very flamboyant. Uh, but the church is having a lot of problems because it has been infiltrated by the flashy false teachers. You know, the guys, the peacocks who strut around the stage and essentially they say nothing, but they look like they're all spiritual. And if you don't think they're spiritual, just ask them. They'll be glad to tell you they are. Two common problems that typically happen in such, a, such environments is there is a temptation to live like the world, very common today, or there is the teaching of Jesus plus some other man-made stuff. You have to some other kinds of rules or sacraments or, or special kinds of spiritual gifts, or now the big thing is, is social justice. It doesn't matter about anything about Jesus. It just matters that we're nice and we help people. Today, um, it's often that presumptive God will forgive us, so it doesn't really matter how we live, and various self-help teachings with Bible verses. Now, interesting study. In, in, in the suburbs, it's more self-help. In the cities, it's more how to be rich. So it's definitely targeted to the audience to get them to keep coming back. The result is what? Instead of the church transforming the world, the world is transforming the church. And it will always be that way when we depart from the scriptures or we just use the scriptures here and there instead of actually teaching them. If you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you are here and if you are very skeptical of the church and Christianity and Christians in general, I'm in the boat with you. I'm the same way because I see this dog and pony show that goes on in a lot of different places and the people are not being transformed by Christ. They are being transformed by the world. They don't look much different. And the Apostle Paul hated that. He was a mature Christian. He was mature in Christ Jesus. 
just a side note, no charge for this one. If you think that you are a mature Christian, guess what? You're probably not. You're probably not. If you think that you are maturing, good chance you probably are. And his life, what we mean by he was mature, his life was yielded to the Holy Spirit. He did what God said rather than what he wanted. And the fruit of the Spirit was evident in his life. Now, interesting guy, this guy, the Apostle Paul. He's something that a lot of us don't put together. He was an aggressive, go-for-it kind of guy. Love that about him. Love that about him. And yet, he was also a very God-reliant man. So is it possible to be a go-for-it kind of person and to be God-reliant? Absolutely it is. And he was uh, always willing to suffer for the vision. He, he, would, he would do whatever it took for the vision of the church. You say, what's the vision? That we may present every man, all of us, perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. Now, if he was here today, we had him here. Certainly, I wouldn't be preaching. He would be. But if we had him here today and we decided we were going to do a little question and answer with him, we might say to him, hey, let me ask you a question. What gets you out of bed in the morning? I mean, what makes you go the way you do? You're like the Energizer Bunny, man. You just, just keep going and going and going. You never seem to run out of steam. You're, 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 just, you're just at it. What makes you tick? What puts fire in your soul? we would expect him to go, it's all the Lord. It's all Jesus. And we go, ooh, very spiritual, very spiritual. I'm not so sure he would say that. In 2 Corinthians, he said all the problems he had, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, put in jail, beaten and thought for dead, arrested in every town he'd go into. He goes, but you know what really got to me? What really kept me up at night was I was worried about the churches. So if you said to him, really, tell me what really makes you roll, bro, he would say this, because I want to see that we present everyone, everyone, no exceptions. I'm not going to, I don't want anybody to fall through the cracks, present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. That's why I let people beat me up. That's why I let people talk trash about me, even people who I have immensely helped. That's why I endure suffering. That's why I work night and day. You may not know this about him. You think, oh, he's an apostle. What, what did he do? He taught the Bible, but he was also had a tent-making business. So he'd be working early in the morning, fixing tents, teaching people during the heat of the day or whenever he could, and working at night doing that. He didn't want to beg money from people. He was a complete, serious man about the gospel. And why did he do it all? For their maturity. For their maturity. He looked at Jesus and he said, remember we often say here, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to serve, not to be served. And we always say that until you see Jesus as a servant, you will never be a servant. This guy would go, I saw what a servant Jesus was and I wanted to serve him and serve his people and I know the way I serve him is by serving his people. That's why he wrote this to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. He says, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected. What's he saying? I know I haven't arrived, but I press on. I'm not going to let all this stuff get to me, man. I'm going to press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Now, this is a thing when you read the Apostle Paul. It's an incredible thing. The guy is absolutely brilliant. And you realize that, that if he were to read the Gospels, you'd be like, this guy gets the whole thing. But even more than he grasped it, it's very clear that the Gospel, that Jesus had grasped him. And so he was all about God's work. He didn't care what the Roman Empire did to him. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended um, one thing I do, but one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind. He's not living in the past. He had a very checkered past, not good. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So what he's not doing, he's not holding on to the past or, or this world too tightly anymore. What does he say? Again, second time, I press. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are mature, spiritually mature, have this mind. What mind? To press on. To stay at it. And if any of anything, and if, and if any, in anything, you think otherwise. <laughs> it's kind of like sarcasm. Uh, if you think you're arrived, you're not mature. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. He'll show you that you're wrong. Verse 16, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk, that means let us live, by the same rule, let us be, what? Of the same mind. What is he saying? Let us all press on together. And let us all walk on to maturity together. And that is what we are about here. We are about presenting you both now. A lot of times people think of the Christian life as well. It's all when we die. Okay, it's good. It's going to be a lot better when we die. This world is not our home. But we live here now. We are about presenting you, both now and in death, mature and perfect in Jesus. But even bigger than that, for here, that every one of us would be committed to presenting one another to God, mature in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. I see a lot of you not, nodding your heads. A different kind of church people going, Amen, Amen. Right? Let me ask you a question. Look at the people around you. Motley crew, aren't they? <laughs> Look at the people around you. Are you committed to presenting them mature? In Jesus Christ. Do you, have, do you have a commitment to the people that are sitting around you? Or is that commitment only to you? Oh, it's about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, barf. <laughs> That's that just terrible. Come on, man. It's not all about you. Are you committed to the fact that we would all... Know Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, and be transformed by Jesus. In this church, that is our vision. To help you become a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Whether today it's to start that, or you've been at this a long time, and you need to keep moving forward. But not only to help you become a committed follower of Jesus Christ, but to help you help other people to become committed followers of Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? Three simple things, each a sermon in itself. So that means we'll probably, the food will get cold. Number one, our message. Our message. Let's back up to verse 27. To them. Who's them? Well, he's talking about the saints in, in verse 26. Uh, now, some of you, you're like, oh, the saints. I'm not a saint. I'm an ain't. Um, <laughs> saints are not super holy people. Remember, we said that the church in Colossae is having problems. Saints are those who put their trust in Jesus. They are God's true people. To them, to the people of God... God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the only way to become a child of God, 
The only way to mature in the faith, the only way for the hope of glory, the only way to hope, the hope of glory is to get to heaven is through the person of Jesus Christ. That's the message. He is our message. Now, some people will tell you, and sadly, even some church people will tell you this. Well, you know, brother. Well, you know, sister. Well, you know, friend. We don't know for sure. It's a mystery. It's deep. Who can really know? Now, if you're new to this thing, you're like, wow, they are so spiritual. So, so you're like, you're like pious meter goes off. And you're like, wow. When you've been at this a long time, your baloney meter goes off. Because <laughs> you're like, that is a hill of manure, right? That is just, remember, I grew up across the street from a horse farm. <laughs> so <laughs> Pam and I were in Central Park last week. And she, I'm like, you smell that? And I go, yeah, it smells like home to me. <laughs> right? We're on those horses and stuff like that. So, but anyway, don't count that on my time. Uh, so, so, so they'll tell you that it's a mystery. It's deep. It's not a mystery. It was a mystery. Now, we think it's a mystery is something you can't solve. In the Bible, a mystery is something that God didn't tell us. And then when he told us, it's no longer a mystery. It's actually the truth of God's word. What's the mystery? God willed to make it known to us, Christ in you is the hope of glory. That's the mystery. The only hope, the only, and in the Bible, hope means certainty. The only certainty of getting to heaven is Christ in you. Not being a good person, not doing a bunch of religious stuff, You say, well, how does that work? You hear the good news. Somehow, some spiritual work goes on between you and God. We talk about that for 2,000 years and not come up with the the definitive answer how the process works. You put your trust in Jesus. You respond to the gospel. And then at some point in time, God takes the spirit of Jesus and he puts them inside of you. The spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and he puts them inside of you. That is your hope of glory. That is the only way to make it to heaven. It's like a space suit. You, can't, you just can't walk out of the, space, you know, the spaceship on Mars without the suit. You've got to have the suit, right? You've you got to have the Spirit of God living in you to get into heaven, to make it into heaven. So the good news, practically speaking, is for any follower of Jesus, if Christ lives in you, you already have in you now what it takes to be mature. You already have that potential inside of you. And and you say, I don't know, do I really? Yes, for a follower of Jesus, it's never too late. You're never out of options. It's never over. There's no reason for you to feel inferior to any other believer. There is always hope. But there's some really bad news. And the bad news is, if you don't have Jesus living inside of you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you don't have the hope of heaven. Now you say, Pastor Jim, that's really harsh. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Because you can't get to heaven unless Jesus is in you, because he is the only hope of making heaven. Well, how do I get this hope? Let's back up to verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him, in in Jesus, all the fullness, the fullness of God, should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's how he did it. So he's got to reconcile some things. So how does he reconcile us? He's going to tell us. He says... Verse 21, and you who were once alienated, and he means from God, and enemies, he means of God. You're like, how am I alienated from God? Come on, man. How, how How am I an enemy of God? He tells us, in your mind by wicked works. So he tells us. God says, don't lie. What did you do? You lied. 
God says, don't steal. What did you do? You stole. All that kind of stuff. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, there's your cross, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, some versions say faultless, in his sight. Remember, we've talked about this before. What happens when you put your faith in Jesus? God takes your sin, puts it on Jesus on the cross, and takes the holy perfection of righteousness of God and credits it to your account. So that's how we can be presented perfect. But there's, a, there's a, an interesting caveat here. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Isn't that interesting? One of the ways that you know that Jesus is still inside of you, is inside of you, or not still inside, but inside of you, is you continue in the faith. That's one of the ways that you know. The Apostle John said about some people who left their church, he said, they went out from us because they never really were one of us. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So how does one get to heaven? You admit that you're an enemy of God. You grab hold of Jesus by faith, trusting that he is your only hope, your only certainty of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, this is not the wishful thinking of our world. I know they're kind of outlawing in a lot of towns, but sometimes these guys knock at your door and, and they want to, you know, they have magazines and all kinds of stuff or they wear a badge that says elder and they're like 12. And so, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so, but, but, but what I'll always say to them is, so tell me, man, are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? And they're like, well, um, uh, and I'm like, here we go, here we go, here we go. Right, Because I want to tell them how you can know that you're going to heaven by putting your trust in the life of another. But that's wishful thinking. Well, we hope we're going to go. You never can really know. But no, the gospel says you can have rock-solid confidence in knowing that you're going to heaven by putting your trust in Jesus, not by being religious. Religious is what you do for God. Putting your trust in Jesus is what he's done for you. And so you put your trust in Jesus and that confidence is only found in the risen Christ who we will celebrate on Easter. Then we must realize to help people mature, to help them to become long-term committed followers of Jesus Christ, our message must be Christ. Other than that, we're just attracting a crowd. Okay, number two. Number two. Number two is an interesting point. Number two is our method. Our method. Now, I want to be careful here because uh, some people would say, they, a lot of you hear about mission and stuff like that, and that's okay. We, do, we are on the mission of, of Christ. But method is interesting. Methods do change to a point. I'm going to put an asterisk on that. I'll come back to the asterisk in one second. Methods do change. So, uh, you heard the band up here today, right? Do you think if you went to church 100, 150 years ago, that's what you would have heard? No, no. They would have done it their own way. So the method of their music changed. Anything wrong with that? No. We often say there's not such thing as Christian music, only Christian lyrics. So, so things change. People used to sit in pews, right? And now what are you doing? You're sitting in these comfortable chairs. Well, semi-comfortable used to rush out of the parking lot and go home and cut people off in the parking lot. Jesus loves you, man. Now you go to the cafe and drink free coffee. Some of you even bring it in to the, to the service. It's okay. Just put a lid on it, bro. <laughs> right? And, so, and so, so those methods change. But there's other methods that never change. That's what I'm talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. So our method, verse 28, him we preach. Never going to change. Never going to change. Some versions say, him we proclaim. So Jesus is to be the focus, not us, not good works, not self-help. In case you forgot point one already, he is the message. Him we preach. Now notice how we're supposed to do it. 
Him we preach, warning every man. Now, that includes every woman. Is that how a lot of people like to go to church? They, they, want, to be to- they want to be warned? And teaching every man or every woman in all wisdom, God's wisdom, not our wisdom, that we may present every man perfect. Again, most versions say mature in Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul, a lot of his letters that we get here, really all the letters, they're written to churches. We know he was out doing evangelism. You know, Every time he went out and did that, that's how he ends up getting rest, arrested all the time, although he has a lot of problems with some of the church people. And he passionately warned people, uh, especially church people, remember this is a letter to a church, to continue following Jesus. And now he's telling us how he helped them to do it. He warns them. Now, how do people that you know like it when you warn them about the way, when you warn them about the way they're living? Does that go over well? Okay. Jesus warned people, and what did they do to him? You forgot already. We've been studying it for weeks. They crucified him. The apostles, Jesus left. Holy Spirit came, lived in the apostles. What did they do to them? They killed him. One they didn't. All right. They killed him. So what do you think that's going to happen if Christ lives in you? How are, how are people who don't believe in Jesus, how are they going to treat you? Bad. Bad. I mean, really, do you, do you imagine yourself in heaven and you're just like over, like, I want to go with the people who really suffered. And you're like, okay. And, and you're just sitting there and, and you're like, well, what happened to you? Like, I was boiled in oil. What happened to you? I was fed to the lions. What happened to you? Oh, I got my head chopped off. What happened to you? Oh, I was crucified upside down. What happened to you? My uncle was mean to me at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, let's, let's be, look about, let's have some sense of, 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 of reality here. If Christ lives in you, there's going to be people that aren't going to like you because of that. But what's one thing that's really important to notice what they're going to do? They're probably not going to do any of those nasty things to you, but they're going to try and get you off course. They're going to try and get you to lose interest. So you drop this crazy religious stuff. And if that's what they think, it's religious stuff. It simply means you haven't explained it well enough to them. It's often subtle. What are they going to do? They're going to try and get you to walk in rebellion to God. They're going to try and get you to compromise the word of God. They're going to try and get you to um, live for yourself and be selfish. And this isn't going to be easy to hear. I listened to an interview with the, uh, the guy who's our diplomat to Germany. And, and he ha- happens to be gay. And uh, he was talking about the fact that how, in I think it's 69 countries, to be gay, it is illegal in the world. And approximately nine or ten companies, you undergo the death penalty. He actually said Donald Trump has done more for this than anybody in the whole world, ever, than any president ever, to try and get that reversed in all different countries and is willing to put sanctions on countries that are unwilling to do it. But this is what he said. He said that the gay community in the rest of the world can't stand the gay community in America. Why? He said, because particularly the ones in New York and Los Angeles are so pious and so about themselves, they are doing nothing to help their cause in the rest of the world. Now you say, why would you tell that story? Because that's how much rest of the world feels about American Christians. That we're so about ourselves and our own happiness, and our own thing, that, w- that the fact that we hear that, you know, Nigeria is the re- re- recent place they've been at, where those savages are going in there, and we're like, I didn't get a raise. You know, oh, the pastor said something I didn't like. Satan. It says in, it says in the Bible that he disguises himself as an angel of light. 
Now, where can Satan do the most damage ever? Ever. Now, I know you're thinking about, oh, drugs, prostitution, all of these illegal crimes. You know where he does more damage than ever? In pulpits. That's where he does the most damage. False teaching, stroking people, telling people things that they want to hear so they come back and they give money. It's terrible. Now, some of you are going to be like, all right, Pastor Jim, you might be Satan. You know what? You better check me out. You better. You better. That's why on page after page of the Bible, we are warned. And that's why I believe with all of my heart that the best way to stay honest to the Scripture is verse-by-verse teaching. Otherwise, people can just pick and choose and say whatever they want to make people feel good and to make people feel happy and to tell people whatever they want while a lot of them are never going to make it into heaven because Christ is not in them. I mean, I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of people are not actually seeking God. Have you noticed that? They seek for the best for themselves. And you know what? That kind of preaching packs a church. Yet Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So it's our role to tell every man. It's our role to tell people the gospel. It's not about behavior modification. Yes, if people's on drugs, we want to get them off and stuff like that. I understand that. But that's still not how anyone gets to heaven. To warn means to to straighten out someone's thinking to correct their thinking that is opposed to God's way of thinking. Now, some of you say, well, Pastor Jim, it says warning, but it says teaching too. You know, in the Bible, the two are not separate. In the Bible, for example, believing and doing are the same thing. So if you say, oh, I believe that, I'm just not doing it. The Bible writers would be like, well, then you really don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you would do it. Or, Or we talk about hearing the word of God. I'm hearing the word of God, but I'm just not doing the word of God. The Bible writers would say, what are you talking about? You obviously didn't hear it. To hear it means to ingest it and then to, and to work it out, to live it out. People say, I'm saved. I'm just not walking with the Lord. The Bible writers would be like Kramer. They'd be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? The two sides of the same coin. Warning and teaching are two sides of the same coin. We proclaim Jesus as Lord of all, and at the same time, we must set our minds away from sin and towards Jesus. And notice, it's for every man. It's for every one of us. That we warn one another that we're going the wrong way, and then we flip the coin over and do what? Then we teach the right way. Why? so we can present all of us perfect and mature. Now you say, well, which is it, perfect and mature? I actually think it's both. That's probably why the translators really were like in a bit of a quandary. What do we put here? I think, I think perfect speaks of the next life. And mature really speaks of this life. Again, two sides of the same coin. So you might say, if you want to critique the translators, that the word perfect might be too strong and the word mature might be too weak. See, when we think about being perfect, God perfecting us in Christ, that shows us and tells us that God keeps his promises. promises. And when we talk about maturity, it tells us that every one of us is capable of Christian maturity as the word of God invades our hearts and our minds and we begin to work it out. That won't happen unless maturity is the goal for all God's people. So let me warn you with a question that I want you to answer for yourself at home. Do you want that level of maturity? Do you want that? Maturity won't just happen if we don't teach the Word of God the way God wrote the Word. 
once you know your way around this book a little bit, you can make it say whatever you want. And there's plenty of guys out there doing that. When we do, when we teach the word of God the way it's been written, we warn people about sin and error and straining. And a lot of people go, I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want to hear that stuff like, no, 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 no. Like a little kid, no, 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 no. I'm rubber, you're glue. What you say bounces off me and goes back to you, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what do you mean? I don't want to hear anything negative. Well, let me challenge you in this, okay? If you think God warning you is negative, then you are not hearing very well. Because God warns you to flip that coin because he intends it to be a positive result in your life that you would turn from your sin, that I would turn from my sin and turn to Jesus. In that sense, maturity or maturing carries the idea of a wholehearted devotion to Jesus and his mission. And we teach. We teach that Jesus is our solution. Remember last week we talked about being absent from the body and present with the Lord. We teach that Jesus is our destination. Jesus is the way we grow in grace. The scriptures is the way we grow in grace and we obtain the riches of his glory. That's why the Apostle Paul begins this verse, him we preach, him we proclaim. So through maturity, we grow deep in God and even here in this life, we begin to experience the riches of his glory. Not talking about money. It may be, but that's really not it. And getting all that he has for you. I love this about the Apostle Paul. This is one of those dudes I can't wait to hang out with him in heaven. Because there's something, in, and maybe it's some baggage I have from my upbringing. A lot of you know I come from a clergy family. Uh, definitely not wearing jeans and not tucking your shirt in kind of clergy family. And, 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 and so um, I love this about him. Is I grew up in a system, and it's, it's, in, it's in all kinds of churches, where a lot of the pastors and priests thought they were better than the people. And they acted like they were like these super spiritual guys. And then when there's all these scandals, we're like, how did that happen? Because we believed them. The emperor was wearing no clothes, but we chose to ignore it. You see, the Apostle Paul was obsessed with the vision that the riches of Christ belonged to everyone. He was obsessed with that. But that's not just some thing for here on earth or just a death or the second coming. That's now. He wanted us all to be the beneficiaries of a deep, deeply seated, loving relationship with the living Christ. And this is something that we all have to grasp or we're just not going to mature. Christ's work for us, think of the cross and resurrection, cannot be separated from his work in us. Think of the Holy Spirit. Too many people today are just going around talking about Christ's work for us. You know what it's producing? Immature Christians. If they're Christians at all. I don't know. I don't pretend to judge. But that's how you end up with people living however they want. By not warning and teaching people, right? What has happened is in the church, we've, we've created separate and unbiblical classes of Christians. It's like the spiritual elite and the wannabes or the don't wannabes. You don't see that in the Apostle Paul. He lumps himself in with everybody else. You see, what happens is, and this is why we have so many immature Christians running around, is there is Christ's work for us, the cross. Christ's work in us, the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and Christ's work through us. As we live out this thing called the Christian life. 
as it becomes a reality. It's not perfection. It is marching on towards maturity together. You'll hear people say, well, I'll get right with the Lord someday. Or I really want to grow someday. Friends, love them. Please love them and tell them today is the day of salvation. Stop with this later. Stop with it. We started this church yesterday, and now it's 15 years old. Life is going by at a rapid, rapid pace. Tell them today is the day. Now is the day. Stop procrastinating, because you may not get tomorrow. Or you may get 20 more years. Who knows how far from God you will be if you wait that long. And we will fight for that here. How are we going to do it? Let's read verse 28 again. And we'll see how we are at counting. Him we preach, warning every man, that's one. And teaching every man, that's two. In all wisdom, not again God's wisdom, not man's wisdom, that we may present every man, three, perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the draw. But I know that when God puts the same term three times in one verse, that I should probably take notice. Every man, every man, every man. Hmm, what's he mean? I think he might mean every man. That means I personally will not rest until every one of you is going on to maturity. I will not step up into this pulpit unprepared and unready because your maturity is banking on it. I'm not going to do that. So, our message, Christ in you, our method, we warn and we teach. Thirdly, our motivation, verse 29, he says, to this end I labor. If you have an older version, it uses a much better word. It says, to this end I toil. Doesn't that make you just sweat thinking of that word? <laughs> to this end I toil. I picture myself like digging a ditch in the backyard when it's 105 degrees out. Right? To this end I toil. The idea is, to this end I work to the point of exhaustion. It's, it's, it's a word that describes the straining of an athlete. He's saying, I agonize, I fight. So your own personal maturity and helping others mature comes at a high price. It's work, and it's exhausting. And did you know that everyone who says they are a Christian is called to the work of the ministry? And some of you go, oh, it sounds wonderful. All right, reality check. It is massively inconvenient. It is costly. It is backbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And as soon as you feel like you're making some progress with someone, they're going to walk away from the Lord, and that other joker is going to come and set camp on your shoulder and tell you God wants to use the other people, but not you. I won't tell you what to tell them because then they'll have to edit the sermon. Now, if you study the Bible, the Apostle Paul assumes that you know that he has a lot of help from others. He knows he can't do it alone. He has a team with him, a team that is of the same vision. In fact, we've often said around here, one of the evidences that God is at work is his people are at work in gospel work. So when you walk around our church and you see people involved in the work of God, you are seeing God at work. Whether you believe it or not, when you are serving God, you are seeing and experiencing God at work in your own life. Another question, do you want to be motivated by God's grace to be part of that work? 
Notice he says here that this labor, and it's a labor of love, according to his working or power, you could say, which works in me mightily. It's an amazing thing how God strengthens his people. People have problems. You know what God says? Preach Jesus to them, and they will be able to stand up against the storms of life. If they need energy, right? He'll tell them. You tell them. Tell them to get to work, and Jesus will provide the energy. Yet there's a tension here, sort of something that we have to keep in the balance. We're not always sure how it works. There's a balance or tension between human effort and the enabling grace of Christ. So, so it goes like this. So as I work for Jesus, as you work for Jesus, Christ, Paul says, works in us mightily. Whether you or I see it or not. And that is part of the motivation. That you know that it is Christ that is working in you. Now verse 29 turns a lot of our American Christianity upside down. You want power in your life? Get to work. You want blessing in your life? Get to work. Too many people are just sitting around waiting to see when God's going to write in the sky or in the snow. Oh, wait, it doesn't snow here anymore. Thank you to the snow removal team. You've done a wonderful job this winter. (laughs) Waiting for God. Did everybody tell everybody what to do? Now, do we trust God when we serve him? Of course we do. Seriously. Serious, dead serious. 4.55 this morning. I'm going over my outline. And I'm like, Lord, this is stinkeroni. <laughs> Some of you might be thinking that right about now. <laughs> so I'm like, if you don't bring it to life, it's nothing. It's nothing. So trusting God, yes. But realizing this, loved ones, that God gives power and energy to workers, not spectators. Some people have the expression, if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work again. To some extent, I understand that. I started my first company. I really feel like I haven't had a job in years. Some of you are like, you still don't have a job, Jim. But I think the Apostle Paul might say, yeah, I wouldn't say I have a job, but I don't always enjoy it. Sometimes he would tell us it breaks his heart, that he agonizes over it, that, that, he, that he toils to the point of exhaustion. Some of you young moms, you know what I'm talking about. You're like wondering when are the diapers going to end. And you know what, you older moms, you need to come alongside them. You do. And you need to tell them it's going to end. And believe it or not, you're going to miss it. The apostle is teaching us that God is powerfully at work in the exhausted servant of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit works through his servants. Now, some of you will say this to me. They go, oh, well, that's not me. I'm just a, I'm just a, uh, wrong, wrong. Your work might not be seen by other people. Your work might not be recognized by other people. But God sees it. And unbeknownst to you, you are moving the gospel forward. You wonder, what would, what would the apostle, why would the apostle Paul do this? What is his motivation? You're like, that is point three, Pastor Jim. Did you forget? He says it in three words, really two. The translator added the third word in verse 29. To this end. He would say, I do all of this for a vision for their maturity. 
the Apostle Paul would say, man, I saw what Jesus did for me. I saw how he laid down his life for me on that cross. And I will be willing to lay down my life for other people so they can know Jesus too. And you would say to him, but all the trouble, the rest, the beatings, the the false accusations, was it worth it? And he would go, every minute of it. Every minute of it. Because great things often happen by them being hard things. And to the Apostle Paul to say, you know Jesus, you love Jesus, and not have a transformed life does not compute. To this end, Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, we toil. To this end, for many of us, for 15 years, we have worked, we have strength, we have strained, we have agonized to help people grow into committed followers of Jesus Christ. It's not just me. It's all the people you see doing work around here. It's all the people during the week that you you don't see people doing work. It's all the people getting their homes ready for community groups. It's all the people meeting people for lunch. It's all the people doing hospital visits. It's so much stuff that that you might not see that I don't see. And that's God's vision. So let me ask you a question again. I don't want you to answer it right now. I I really want you to go home and ponder this question. Do you want to be part of that vision? If we want to be a church on fire, we all have to get on fire by making Jesus everything. A few practical things. Some of us need to be here more. You can't get any traction if you go to church once a month. You just can't. Nobody can. Maybe some of you need to participate in in, in the prayer times that we have here. Maybe some of you need to start serving here. It's just a beginning. It's just getting you going. People go, I'm tired. Maybe you're tired because you're not serving. Because his power is not at work in you. Maybe you need to join a community group. Some of you have incredible gifts of encouraging people, and you don't even know you've got them yet. Some of you have incredible gifts of helping people. You can fix stuff around their house. You can run errands for them. You can do all kinds. Of, some of you have incredible ways of, of being able to help people. Now, the groups are ending soon, but we'll have another sign-ups around Easter, and right after Easter, we have another short semester. Runs for a short semester. Sign up for that. Some of you are like, well, I need a little more time. Great, I just gave you more time. Sign up in April. (laughs) For most of us, it comes down to this, and I'm challenged by this all the time, to put my own agenda aside. The motivation behind the motivation is Christ in you. Your only hope of glory, your only hope of heaven. Personalize it, say my only hope. And since the hope of heaven must be in a person, without that focus, and I realize I'm not going to make any friends in the neighborhood by saying this. Without that focus of Jesus Christ, a church can hardly call itself Christian. People come to me all the time with these wackadoo names of churches. I don't know, whatever. They name their church their church. They go, you got a problem with that name? I go, I got the problem with them calling themselves a church. And God's vision, which is our vision, is to keep focused on Christ and the entirety of the Christian life flows out of that. Is that your hope? Do you have that hope in your life? Do you want meaning and purpose and clarity to your life? Turn to Jesus and get moving. How committed is God to your spiritual maturity? He sent Jesus to die on the cross in your place so Jesus could present you blameless to God. So you would trust in Jesus and he would take all your sin and give you his perfect righteousness so he could bring you to God and say, look what I brought to you, Father. See, 
God's message was Christ. God's method was the cross. God's motivation was the glory of his name. And it was also you. Maturity awaits you. Eternal perfection awaits you. The riches of the glory of heaven and Jesus awaits you. Where do you start? Turn to God. Put your trust in Jesus. But it's also true that our world awaits you. The world awaits you to bring Jesus to them so Jesus can bring them to God. And we do that with the good news, urgent warning, and teaching. I am not going to lie about it. It is messy business. It is a slow process. But don't panic. Jesus is here. Setbacks are very normal on the road to maturity. The Lord wants our church to be a place that gives people strength for the battle in the midst of hopelessness and despair. But he also wants our church to be a place of hope, joy, and encouragement as we help one another on our way to maturity and on our way in our perfection in Christ. Well, let's pray.